Welcome to the Career Cafe. This is Industry Insights, where we bring you insights in how to make work work for you. Today, I'm joined by Jeff Smith. Jeff is one of the very first people that I thought of when I was creating this podcast because he's got such a unique story. He's a guy who's truly blazed his own trail. Jeff started his career as an accountant with Ernst & Young before leaving public practice and going into the software industry where he moved up the ranks, leading the financial planning and analysis function for a company called Crystal Decisions, which was later bought by SAP. While Jeff was with SAP, Jeff took a hard left turn into a role as the director of mid-market sales, not the typical career move for an accountant. After Jeff left SAP in 2008, he moved back into financial planning with a global helicopter company where he was quickly promoted into a VP role, leading a part of their business development efforts. In 2015, Jeff was named to Business in Vancouver's 40 Under 40 for his career and his community involvement. Jeff has been very involved with Anaphylaxis Canada, the United Way, and Junior Achievement. In 2016, Jeff joined another fast-growing software company called Mobify as their chief financial officer. And he eventually became their chief operating officer before another hard left in his career, becoming the founder and CEO of the Supporting Lines Institute, where he's now cultivating high performance and improving the human experience of work. So Jeff, welcome to the podcast. It's it's great to have you here. Thanks a lot. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so to get things started off, it's been an interesting time in the world almost anywhere you go. How have you and your team been at the Supporting Lines Institute through this whole thing? Uh, it's been good. I mean, we're a small team, so, um, you know, it's been okay for us. We're we're checking in a lot uh, every day. There's two of us yep. that are full-time employees and then a group that's kind of helping us around that. Um, ironically, when I was interviewing Tiana, who's our marketing coordinator, she had said that she wanted to make sure that even though it was a small company, that we'd actually work somewhere. So we did have a physical space, then we moved to the Hive. Yep. Um, co-working space and then uh, of course here we are so now she is working from home <laughs> and so we check in. Be agile. I didn't do it yeah exactly it's not you know it, it wasn't it wasn't my wasn't my fault <laughs> yeah in uh, in the introduction we had talked about so your career story I mean we we've we've talked before and I, I think at one point you described yourself as a bit of a unicorn this is because <laughs> some of the things that you've done you've worked in a lot of different business functions um Starting as an accountant, uh, what what made you choose that field? When you think about where you are now, going back uh, to the beginning of your career, why accounting? What attracted you to the accounting and finance field? Yeah, it's really funny, and I think you know I, when I use the term unicorn, it's like it's just it's like something that's not supposed to exist, right? Definitely right. not for any aspect of the the beauty of a unicorn. Um, so it, it's really simple. Uh, my dad helped me pick it. That was kind of it. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had no idea. Um, and as I was finishing university, he said, you know, do something that you can at least get some sort of designation, which is really yeah. good advice. Um, yeah. There was a lot of benefits I had. I think the biggest thing I appreciated at now, probably more than at the time, was you're getting access to CFOs and executives and spending a lot of time as a 22 year old that really doesn't have, you know, in some ways has nothing to add to some of those meetings. But all of a sudden you do and you're in these meetings. So I mean, it was great, great advice in hindsight, but I really don't have any kind of elegant story about how I picked that profession. <laughs> I'll share a really quick funny story with you. The, our controller at Horizon Recruitment, um, <laughs> we, we had this session where it was, a, it was a team building. We went around the room. We talked about how we got into what we did. 
And he said he chose accounting because we went, when he went to the college admission function, it was at the very top of the list because it's ACC. He's like, oh, I guess I'll be an accountant. So that's, <laughs> that's a great way to get into it. And he's actually a very good accountant. So you want to know something funny is that that's how I start. That's how I went to Acadia. Is it? A paper book that had all the lists of universities in Canada in it. And that was the first one I applied to. So they were the first one that accepted me. <laughs> It's, interesting. it's yeah. interesting to hear how really smart people make their decisions. Totally. Um, so, so you, so your your dad helped you with that, or, or provided some guidance. Who who was he? Was he someone else that you turned to early in your career for career advice, or did you have a mentor or other people that helped steer you through these things? What was the what was your what did your network look like at that point? Yeah, I mean, I had. Um, it's interesting actually. Some of the people that have helped steer me through. Uh, lots of points in my career, especially some of those couple parts that were pretty, pretty challenging. Yeah. Um, there are people actually that are from that time. I think one of the great things about doing, you know, your CA or CPA, you, you know, you're being a lawyer or whatever, when you're articling, those periods are so intense that, um, you know, I don't think it's the same uh, on a lot of other levels as being in the military, but I, I think it, there's definitely like a boot camp effect. I think you, you end up going through a lot of trials together. Um, certainly yeah. nothing, nothing as scary as what, you know, those people go through, but you form a bond. And so those some of those people from those days have been really um, important. And then along the way, I've had the luxury of working with some great people. I mean, Janet Wood at SAP was certainly someone for me that I got a lot from. I mean, Greg Wolf yeah. was also there. So there are people there that I I worked with that I, I learned a great deal from. I mean, Steve Lucas is another, another guy. So there's a number of people from there that I just happened to work with some amazing people. And that was really, I think that was really formative for me. So it was it was a strong organization with some strong leaders. Yeah. So with, for somebody who is in a situation like that, where they're fortunate to have a strong leadership team, how did you gain visibility? How did you create a relationship with those people? I mean, because there's lots of other people that would have worked with those people as well that maybe didn't have the same type of relationship or guidance. What were some of the things that, that you was it was a good fortune or what are some of the things that you did? to foster those relationships, to be able to take advantage of that. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, so I started working with Janet um, as her FP&A person. So this is, this is how these pivots happen. So I was in finance supporting the partner team. Yeah. Really, really enjoyed that team. And then after the merger of business objects and Crystal came together, um, yes. Janet took on a much bigger role with the aggregation of the whole partner team. And she ended up then taking very, very, very senior roles in SAP. So she was a great leader to, to learn from. And one of the things that she did was she gave us a lot of autonomy. Like we were very clear where the four corners were. But um, myself and another guy named Paula Rochelle, we were essentially put in charge of the operations side of a great deal of the partner program. And so, um, yeah, I mean, we would ask, hey, you know, what do you want to do, Janet, and this? And she would say, well, what do you guys think? Like, you guys are in this. You guys are looking at the program. So the decision, we knew the decisions always rested with the executives. Yeah. But working with those leaders, and those three in particular, um, they were all powerful, super strong people in their own right. But they gave us lots of room. And I, and I think I learned about autonomy, not when I had it, but when then later in my career, I didn't. And I was like, oh, well, this is now I don't have what I had there. And so that was when I realized what that how much autonomy I had when I was working with those teams and how much they were truly giving us space to go create stuff and bring it back instead of being told exactly what to do. So later on, I worked in more of the latter scenario and I was like, oh, this kind of sucks. Like I like autonomy a lot better. So yeah, I think you learn a lot from having both good leaders and bad leaders that you work with. And I think mm -hmm. you realize sometimes what you have until you then work with someone else who isn't as strong 
And then you're like, oh, okay. So you almost need both of them, I think, to truly learn from. That's a really interesting point. Yeah. So what would what would your advice be uh, if, if someone is working for someone who isn't maybe have have the as well developed leadership skills? Well, I've got a, a gentleman right now I'm talking to where um, he's got exactly that scenario. He's got a, a leader who would never use the things that we use to create a better human experience of work. He's just like not interested, which is probably yeah. why his team doesn't have a great human experience of work. <laughs> Some of the tools that we use, what we're what we're doing is if you go in the front door and tell someone, hey, I don't have autonomy, that's not going to work, right? Especially if you have that kind of scenario. So what we're doing is um, he's filling out our leader evaluation to yeah. look at what his team would probably say. And then I'm going to give him some help to go back and figure out a very sort of supportive way to give some feedback, or we use the term feed forward to look at, look, these are some things we can do differently on the team. So I'm trying to coach the leader without actually talking to the leader by empowering people on the team to go in and and sort of raise uh, what yeah. some of the issues are. So we can get really specific in the, in the assessment stuff that we do, and there's free things people can use. So... Um, in this specific scenario, there are things that we can do to help people go in and almost be like a coach, a give some gentle feedback to the leader to try to open some things up. Because, yeah, there are leaders that just don't get it and they don't care or don't seem to. Which in turn would help you develop your leadership skills. Totally. And that's a challenging thing to go to your, your boss and you use a term. Uh, what was the term you used? Feed forward? Yeah, feed forward. It's a is that, is that something that you came up with or? No, it's uh, something from a general name, uh, Marshall Goldsmith, very well-known coach. Um, okay. And so the difference between feedback and feed forward is actually quite compelling. So if you picture something in the past few months that let you don't have to say what it is, but picture something that you're like, ah, oh, I'd like to have a do-over on that. Yeah. If somebody came in and was like, okay, so that thing that happened, yeah, here are all the things that weren't good about that, and I need you to fix them. So that's one conversation, but the problem is the person has nowhere to go. So when we do our performance conversations, getting feedback and things. The technique we teach, we, we leverage this technique, which is more about we first ask the person to give their own assessment of how it went. Usually they're going to call out like, yeah, I'd love to redo this. Perfect. Now they're leading through. But you focus more on, OK, so if we were to do something different in the future, what would that look like? How would it yeah. be better? Right. So yeah. you, instead of being like, I, I like this dynamic of if you um, if you're giving feedback, it's almost like this, like one. It's like across a table. But if we are, um, if we're using feed forward, it's almost like we're shoulder to shoulder looking at what could be possible if we did things different. So there's a complete difference in the human experience of that conversation. But to do the feed forward, you're still essentially looking at the feedback. You're still looking at what right. would I, what, what's the situation I need to change, but the way you deliver it's totally different. So that technique with a leader who doesn't get it is great because you're talking about, look, this is what is possible if we try this little tiny shift, which is one step closer to autonomy. So I think, you know, there's things like that that we can do. And also, I think it's just people need to learn what is autonomy. Like we use these words, but like do people even know what it means? If I ask someone, you know, I always people will say, like, I don't have the support I need from my manager. Well, if we ask 10 people what support from the manager looked like, you'd get probably 38 answers from 10 people. Right. So I think mm -hmm. we're very big on taking jargon words that are that are popular for a reason. Like autonomy is a very powerful thing, but it probably means something different to everyone. So it's get clear on what your definition of these things are. Try to learn what good looks like. If you don't have it, other people do. Try to find out, try to find examples of what good looks like. And then you can start working through, okay, how do we chip away at this? Because you can't just go in and say, you know, you're a terrible boss. Because if that's true. It's not going to go over real well, yeah. <laughs> that's going to get into like an action reaction, which is like that feedback thing I was talking about, right? It's 
it's yeah. almost like you're across the table competing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think it'd be really valuable for someone to have that outsider third party um, viewpoint to help navigate those things. But a lot of people just don't necessarily know where to go or haven't been in that situation. So how do you create, and it sounds like there's an element here, we need to start to create those things for yourself. Yep. I joked about some of the career, I said left-hand turns in your career, going from accounting in, into sales, um, you know, or it's a finance in, into sales. Um, so you were supporting that group as, yep. a, as a finance person supporting that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so it's almost like they uh, they they recruited you into their team. So talk talk to a little bit more because that's a that's a very um, atypical move, finance to sales. It's not like it has never happened before, but you 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 did it. You were successful at it. Walk us through that change because someone's looking at making a change. That can be a scary thing. Um, what if it doesn't work? What does that mean to me? What went through your mind? making that decision to move from accounting into sales and then your, your, your first little journey moving into that function. Talk to us about that. Yeah. I think when you do, there's, there's two types of finance, right? There's like, you know, taking care of numbers. And then one of the things, uh, the CFO at the time who, again, another amazing leader, Crystal, really, it's, it's no wonder that company was successful. But <laughs> that was the CFO at the time. And I remember talking to him about the difference between budgeting and operational planning. And so we were very much focused on operational planning. So that means that the numbers are coming out of things that you're doing operationally, as opposed to let's just focus on the spreadsheets. You need the spreadsheet because sure. you need to look at your resources. But by doing the operational planning and I was doing marketing and product and research and development, and I was doing stuff um, with some of the go to market teams, partner teams. And so what you learn is that you start to learn about the operation of these groups. And I was very interested in the programmatic. Like I like systems thinking. I, I really enjoyed the kind of we got this massive program. And in fact, we have two groups of channel partners in Crystal and Business Objects that are wired completely differently and have just spent all this time competing. Right. we got to bring them together. So I just like, that sounds fascinating. So for me, I think that's it. Like when I make these pivots, it's just like, oh, look, that, that'd be cool to do. Right. So we call it something. But in reality, that was sort of a shift, as you said, into let's do the partner thing. From there, we looked at how would we do the overlay uh, partner coverage. So we had partner reps that worked with the sort of direct sales reps. And in getting that dance working right, because you could have times, you know, channel conflict and, and different things with lots of competing people in the same deals or, or not supposed to be competing. That's the way it would happen. And what you get into is you're looking at very complex relationships within sales and you start to learn more about it. And then you start to see in the coverage model that you built and the quotas and compensation plans and everything else that, you know, that looks like really cool work. So, again, I'm like, oh, that looks cool. Let's go do it. Yeah. So that led to me. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't a blunt move or a blunt pivot, meaning you didn't go from one completely disparate. Fun I mean, I guess on the org chart, perhaps, but there was a connector there. There, there was some visibility into what you were going to be doing. Because I know some, when they, when people talk about career change or job change, and there's there's being an accountant at one company or being an accountant at another another company, that's job change, but like a, a complete functional change. Like I no longer want to do this. I'm going to go work over here. The, the, for you, there was already some relationships, familiarity and involvement in that. It wasn't just a hard stop. Okay. You, now I'm, now I'm doing, I'm doing this. Yeah. Do, do, you, do you think that that's, I mean, 
in what you're doing now, I guess there's a connect. Well, we'll get into that in a minute. Moving from finance into in, into entrepreneurship, well, we'll come back to that. Um, but that theme of having a connector is probably something valuable for our listeners because if you want to just stop doing something and, and start doing something completely different and just you you know it's a it's a clean cut that that can be a challenge have you dealt with people in your in your in your business now where that's people are, are looking at that or contemplating those types of things or does that not surface that much like you know my journey to supporting lines really kind of came in through you know i was a cfo became coo started to get really into the people and culture side of things like just i yeah. Coach, like I just so again, it was like another drift, right? A lot of these were like drifts. They look like pivots on LinkedIn. Yeah. You when you think about what happened, you know, it's a bit of a drift. And so I would say there's two things there that are kind of key points. The first one is do things that you're really interested in, right? So that's the first one. So if you're really interested in it, you're gonna figure it out. And whatever you don't know, there are other people that are gonna know that. So you're bringing some skills, and other people are bringing some skills. And it can work, right? Other people can bring some of the technical stuff that you don't have. I recently read a book called Range, which I it's it's all about how generalists thrive in a you know hyper specialized yeah. world. Yeah. And the author's escaping me, but incredible book. And that book talks Range. about how it's called Range. And that okay. book is amazing because mm-hmm. it, it actually explains why my career makes sense. Because it talks about the fact that you're bringing by bringing in these different like perspectives. That's actually how innovation happens. Innovation doesn't happen by people that are super specialized doing the same thing over and over. They have a, you know, it's almost like in software, we call it a technical debt. Like you've got a commitment to something you've made in the past. So it might be harder to see the pivot. Someone else coming in that doesn't have all that training, but has other training. They apply things. That's often how, like a lot lot of times, what lead to creativity. The other thing is that when you're in a role where, Let's say your job is to, you know, develop code. We'll stay in the software example. So your your job is to come in and you're going to make part of the product. You're going to code. That is yeah. super specialized. You have to know exactly how the company's using these languages and stuff. And like you're you're coding in a very specific way. Once you become like an engineering manager, engineering director, and you start moving up, a shift happens. And I think the hardest shift in people's career is from individual contributor to director. And we're doing it. We have a whole, we have a bunch of work that we're doing now. We just launched in sure. in supporting yeah. So I think that's a really important part to support people there, but also that's when we can get people and help them be great leaders from the beginning. So as a coach, I don't have to come in and try to fix it later, right? But the thing is, once you make that pivot into people manager, the technical stuff actually becomes less important. Now, I wouldn't go so extreme as putting me in charge of a product team because there's a bunch of stuff I wouldn't have a clue about, right? Yeah. The level of technical support we'd have to surround me with, we, me with would almost be like too much. So I think there, there are pivots that are probably too far. But again, if you're super interested in something and you recognize that once you get to that director level, once you're managing people, that's actually more important than the technical expertise, while you still need a little bit. But the advancement once you're at that level should be more on the leadership development side, less on the I need to keep getting better at you know the craft. Right. I think this underscores the idea that you continually have to be in a career. I'm of the opinion you continually have to be in the mindset a career mindset where you're working towards something because you never know when the opportunity is going to present itself for you to capitalize on it. It's one of those things, well, I now want to make a change. Therefore, I'm going to start do, start doing some things differently too late. It's like the worst time to try and find a doctor is when you're sick. Do the, pre- you know, the preventative maintenance or from a career perspective, 
Always be learning. Always be trying new things. Always be building your network, going out to people, listening to podcasts, things, things along those lines to, to, to tool up so that when an opportunity uh, surfaces, you're, you're, able, you're able to take it. So while we're on the topic of, of specific skills, are there specific skills you'd suggest people develop that will assist them in creating or demonstrating value to their employer? I mean, there's, yes, tons. And again, I think it comes back to, like when I set development goals for people in coaching, we always set it based on what they're interested in because there's like a million things you could do. So let's use that dividing line again. So if you're an individual contributor, you probably have to get some skills on the craft. That's really important. You have to be able to do the work because- Whatever your function is. Totally, right? So if your yeah. job is to, you're in HR and you run an HRIS system and you have no clue how to use it, that's going to be a problem for you. Now, <laughs> could be. learn how to use that and you have technical competence in, in the craft, I think at that point, it's looking at what are the things you can do as a teammate. And so one of the things that, um, you know, one of the things that we offer, I'm trying not to be too pitchy with some of the stuff, but I want to, like, it's part of the story. So it's like, you know, one of the things that we are focused on is looking at if you are an individual contributor, it's not too early, especially if you're starting to get close to people manager to start thinking about that. So I have someone right now that I'm working with where he is, um, he's an engineer and he wants to become an engineering manager, never did it. So yep. someone like you could say to him, tell me about managing people. He, he could be like, uh, I never did it. The other thing he could say is on my own nickel, I am working with a coach. I've got a 360. I've identified um, some things to work on. He's going to go through our e-learning and get some, you know, get some core skills. And then he can also say to this interviewer that, and then when I come into the company, my coach is actually going to sit in on my first few one-on-ones and feedback sessions and things and give me feedback to make sure I'm supported. So which of those answers would be more impressive to you? There's like 10 things that's more impressive with us. So we don't do this, right? It's like somehow someone has to get someone to believe they have the people skills. Then we throw them in and say, go. It's crazy. And that's, that's right. people got to figure this stuff out. It's not true. So I think there are so many great leadership skills. They're all connected. And I'd say when someone's getting to that point where they would like to start managing a team, even if it's two or three people, that's the moment to start looking at what can I do. And so that, that was, that's part of why the thinking behind our e-learning was let's make it super inexpensive and approachable because yeah. I think it's really important. We're, we're a social enterprise. So we're looking at what can we do to empower that next generation of leaders so that when they do come talk to someone like you, they've, they've got a plan about how they could be a people manager. Well, imagine if someone did that, not only are they self-directed enough that they've got some, I mean, they're, they're clearly serious. If, if they've engaged a coach, they take some evaluation, but imagine if someone took that and went and applied it to a not-for-profit society totally. in their spare time or in coaching for, for, for minor hockey or baseball or, or whatever the case is, then you could actually tell a story, a legitimate story about your leadership skills, even though you may not have led a full dev team at a software company, if you've done that at, at an industry association or a not-for-profit or the United Way or whatever, yep. you, you you have some something to really stand on that, that, that could be impressive. So I think yeah. that's good advice for someone who's a listener is, is you got to be willing to go first to start to pick up those skills. So that career mindset, you're always working on what you're what, what you're doing for sure. Yeah, and like that's, that's very good advice. Have, it's it's a super fast way to get feedback from people, and it'll identify what you need to work on. So, and you and again, you get clear on what these words mean. So, I need to get better at collaboration. Let's say that's what comes back. We can help you understand that actually the first thing that supports collaboration is making sure everybody's aligned and on the same page. So, get good at that. Get good at aligning teams, setting expectations 
holding people accountable, reviewing progress, all that kind of stuff. If you do that, those are the things that actually empower you to be really good as a collaborator and as a, you know, helping teams collaborate with each other. So what we've done, I think, is broken stuff down to the very specific things that people can do mm -hmm. and just trying to make it really easy. So and and really, there's like a million things you can do. The biggest thing is find a way, whether it's our stuff or somebody else's, there's all kinds of great tools, but find something that helps you identify something you need, you know, that you know you want to work on and then be very deliberate about working on that one thing. Then do another one. Then do another one. Don't try to do the like the power of focus. Totally. Right. Because we're, we live in this world where we're, things are coming at us all the time. I mean, we're, 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 we're doing the podcast now. I got it filmed. I got my phone and I'm getting messages on LinkedIn and all sorts of notifications. There's always something coming at you, but your ability to focus on and put everything else aside is, is, uh, it's an important skill to be able to develop. Mm -hmm. Um, one of my favorite questions, looking back at your earlier self, knowing what you now know, is there advice you would have given Jeff Smith, the Jeff Smith of 15 or 20 years ago? Um, what advice would you give to yourself earlier in your career? I think the biggest thing, I, I think I underestimated, especially those first four years, like when I look at things like, you know, top 40 under 40 and these sorts of things, like the reason those things happened was because of an acceleration of career. And I think I, I missed... I didn't realize at the time how important the intensity of the articling was at Ernst & Young. So you're getting like five years experience in three, it's exhausting, you're toast, like you're so tired all the time and everything else, but you're getting access, you're seeing, you're watching these senior leaders in action. You're, you're dealing with very high level issues. So it's raising your threshold for what is an issue and what should be dealt with. So you mm -hmm. have a you're not worried about minutia of certain things because you're very focused on like what some of these bigger issues are. So I think that was a great acceleration. Plus you're just getting so much experience all at once. And so I think there's little things like, you know, when you start as a CA, they give you the cash section and it's like, no one wants to do it. But in fact, you learn afterwards, that's actually the most important thing. Just ask businesses in this environment, how important cash flow is, right? Okay. It's the oxygen of, of an organization. And so you know, I think things like that, the cash section is thrown at the junior person. In fact, understanding cash flow and how everything links together, that to this day is it is one of the most important things when I became a COO, CFO, cash, where are we at? Collections, like all that stuff. And so I think you underestimate at the time. It's like, oh, this is like, you know, they're giving the new guy the grunt work. But actually, there's stuff you're doing very early in your career that you will use later and you won't know what stuff. I'm sure you're the same way. Like if you think back to the beginning of your career, there's probably things you use now and skills that you hone then that you never thought at the time they were so important, right? You know what? It's so true. So I want to take this idea and distill it down further for someone who's listening, because not everyone's going to have experience working with cash, because if they're in engineering or sales or marketing, it could be something different. For me, it was drilled into my head and about cold calling, the right. ability. And so there's a lot of debate around that. And cold calling's dead that I'm firmly in the camp that that's a bunch of crap. Cold calling is not dead. And the reason is, as an entrepreneur, you can have the greatest business idea in the world, but if you haven't got revenue coming through the door, the only thing you have is a theory. You don't have a business. Some of my, some of the closest friends I have in my life right now are people that I cold called. Interesting. Right? I, I was willing to get uncomfortable to start a conversation with somebody that I'd never talked to before, persistent enough to stick with it. And then once they met me, they're like, 
you're not that bad of a guy. I kind of like you, right? And that blog, and it became a friendship. We, we stuck with it. I mean, we met years ago. We years never ago. talked at one point, right? So you repeat that enough times. Um, it, it, so it, for me, it was like being able to pick up the phone and using the phone to develop something out of nothing. For you, it was, you know, the, the, the grunt work of cash. For someone else, it might, it, it, it's, it, it could be something else. What's that idea though? I guess the idea there is, what, what's the lesson for the listener there? What for, for cold calling for me, cash, working with cash for you, for, you know, it's like, you know, go back to the karate kid, Mr. Miyagi, wax on, wax off. Why are you making me do this? Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think it's that adage, like there are things you're doing in your job right now, whatever level it is that are super important. So we, we, what we do in our coaching is we help people have, even if it's a three-year, you know, horizon, like what is your, what do you, where do you want to be in three years? And don't talk about job, like, Job, in, like the sort of promotion thing, to me, it's like, you know, a lot of people want a flat organization and everybody wants to be a director. Like those don't go together, right? So yeah. we need to build out capabilities and then someday preparation, opportunity, connect, you get the promotion. The big thing is if you have a sense for where you want to be in three years from a capability standpoint, we bring people back to what opportunity do you have in your role right now to work on skills that are going to help you get that beyond three years, who the hell knows what's going to happen, right? Especially, I mean, look at, I mean, January, I thought we were going to have a totally different year than we, you know, than we're having. Um, and so, so Jeff, we're, we're, we're slogging through some stuff in our career at this point. And one of the things that I have a real challenge with, and I think it's all about how you interpret and, and distill what I'm about to say, what, what it means, because one of the, Probably the most overused. Um, this 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 career advice is everywhere. Follow your passion. Well, if you're slogging through the crap, and you're like, this sucks, and the career advice is follow your passion, follow your passion. Like I'm not passionate. This sucks. Yet that's the advice that when you look back, you're like, there's value in that. How do we reconcile that for people? I think that's a that's a that's a difficult thing to tackle because there's it, it can actually be very dangerous advice because unless you're willing to go through that to pick up the lessons and and have the fortitude to make it through, you could really be missing a, a massive career opportunity, and making a huge career career mistake. How, what are your what comes to mind about that topic? You know, I think the whole the problem with follow your passion is that. It may have not your passion may have nothing to do with work, right? So if you can gradually, if your vision is you want to get into whatever your passion is, then yeah, you can start moving toward that. But I think for me, I've refined it slightly. It's I would say understand how what you're doing now matters. Why did what like what in what you're doing matters? And everybody's got stuff. I mean, it just took me a, a week to do my invoicing. I hate doing it. Kind of ironic for a CPA, but like doing the billing, it's just like, and I have a bookkeeper and everything. I'm just like, all I had to do is review it. And so <laughs> Like for me, it's, it's more about, so I understand passion. I would, I'd say there's two things. Understand how what you're doing now connects to a vision you have that's nearer term, two to three years, because you don't know, because your passion will shift. When I started at Mobify, I was very happy doing CFO. Then when I moved to COO, I had the sales group and I was very excited about that. And then I shifted more towards people and culture. And I found that that's actually like, that's like my life's work. Like it, it was that dramatic shift. So there's, there's a, there's a difference, I guess, in where that passion could go that can move. So it's be in yeah. touch with what that is, but I would say it's know where, know how what you're doing right now connects to what you want to do in two or three years. Again, capability, not promotion. Forget about the career ladder. 
because some of the most important moves I've made have been lateral. So let's be open to other opportunities. Yeah. Do stuff that's interesting and understand how everything's connected to some core purpose. I think that's what's yeah. really important. Like, what do you what do you want? And you may not know that. Like, I think there's there's all kinds of like, you know, yoga theory and philosophy and everything else about how when you get to about forty, then this goes back millennia. There's like you know this kind of like existential like what's this all about moment. So I like to say a lot of the stuff that I've been doing lately is probably tied to some like healthiest midlife crisis ever, right? But yeah. just be open to the fact that that passion could shift. So don't get too invested in it. It'll it'll shift, and, it, and I think it's important to let it shift. Do you ever? Yeah, one of my favorite quotes about passion is comes from a guy named Mike Rowe. Actually, it's not his quote. He quoted somebody that was on the show Dirty Jobs. You remember mm-hmm. that show, Mike Rowe? And he, um, I have a video clip of it. He says, only a, uh, the thing about passion is only a moron would follow it. Bring your passion with you in everything you do. That, that really resonated. Bring it with you. Don't follow it. Any, anyways, yeah, um, it, it is good. Um, let's explore some of your, your, more, your more recent moves from corporate life into entrepreneurship. A lot of people, if you've got chief in your title, you're in the executive suite, you're like, hey, I've arrived. That's what I've been shooting for for all these years. You did that and left. <laughs> Walk us through the story. Why? Well, it's interesting. In 2017, uh, I found myself as new COO. So I'd never done that. Had a brand new EA. She had never done that. And the other eight or nine people that were on the team, all VPs and directors, everybody was new in role entire room we sat down for first team meeting and we were like this is incredible right (laughs) my executive coach at the time said um you probably should think about getting some coaching skills because you're going to be coaching like crazy this year and i was like okay so what does that look like and she said well there's easy there's like smaller things you can do and then there's like bigger and i'm like well i only have i have two speeds on and off so it's like yeah let's let's look at the big one and so the next day I applied, it was actually, it happened to be the deadline for application to uh, the, the upcoming cohort for Royal Roads University's coaching program. So I did a formal certification. The next day. I, I applied the next day and then it started like, I don't know, uh, six weeks later, I think. And there so, you go. yeah, right. And then so the, the, the whole thing with that was um, I went into this coaching program thinking I was like this really good leader and this was just going to bring me to the next level. And then I got in and like, about two hours into the first week, I was like, huh, I think I've actually been a really good manager. And now I think I just realized what leadership is. And okay, this is this is like a big epiphany. It's like I actually wasn't as good at that as I thought. And so that journey really got me to start connecting more with people. And there's still like so much I'm still working on. Everyone's got development areas. I think the big thing is that it's a journey. You're never done leadership development. Or um, like your career. Totally. Right. And so that that really accelerated things for me on a true leadership front. So I got better at it. And then I started coaching people internally. I started coaching some people externally because like, I don't want to just coach. I don't want to hone my coaching skills only coaching one company. So I started coaching outside and I talked to the CEO about it and everything else. But it became apparent over time for both the CEO and I that this yeah. kind of like, you know, this coaching outside turned into a side hustle and it was starting to become like the hustle. Like that was more of my passion was in that. And so, yeah, we had a conversation about, okay, it's probably time. And so that's interesting. As yeah. the COO, you had this side hustle. Yeah. And that, that's that's yeah. really interesting. Do you think that's common? Um, I do. I do. I, yeah, I, I think there's lots of people that do like advisory work for companies and things. Like we sure. had other people, yeah. right? So it's kind of like that, but it started to become much more. I mean, I, I certified in another method and then 
the real shift for me was once I started realizing that I had something that could help other people be better at alignment and collaboration and help them use a coach approach and all these yeah. things. I was like, yeah. you know, I, I, I was speaking at an event called uh, Disrupt HR, which is fantastic. It's run by yeah. Matt, Matt and Steph Corker. And I used this term supporting lines and a bunch of people were like, what did he just say? Because I talked about how it's supporting lines, not reporting lines. Because reporting lines are good for structure, but supporting lines are how we do our work. It's like teams supporting each other, leaders supporting their teams. They don't have to be in the same function. And so I, I was talking about that, but that really was becoming at Mobify like a thing. Like people would start, it was part of orientation. Um, and it was it was something that, so I could train other people. It almost became like I was kind of productizing it. And so yeah, like we had that conversation. And so Igor, the CEO and I had talked about it. And uh, yeah, it just got to the point where it was it was very clear that that was more what I wanted to do. and. Yeah, it was like, all right, let's uh, let's jump off. And we did it. That was also a supported one. So it was a big shift, but I did support Mobify quite a bit last year. And they're still a client now using our our assessment tools. But um, cool. yeah, that, that was another one where for both parties, it was kind of a, a gradual a gradual thing rather than like a sudden stop. Okay. Great. Yeah. Um, we, um, we, we talked about helping. So the, the show is about helping people manage their careers more effectively making better decisions or help, help helping hiring managers make better hiring decisions. That's ultimately what we're trying to do in terms of the content that we create. Your organization now, um, you said you didn't want to be pitchy. Well, I'm asking you to be pitchy now or, or tell us a bit more about what Supporting Lines does as it relates to those objectives. Can you, how, how can someone manage their career more effectively? How can you or your team help someone manage their career more effectively? Or if they're hiring somebody, make better hiring decisions. Do you guys fit into that? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the, the big thing for us is that, uh, again, it was an epiphany. Like, I had this big framework, and then when we went out on our own, it was like, all right, we need to get a, like, we need to put together some sort of sales tool, because I can't explain the whole framework. I need to get a sales tool. So the sales tool was these 32 questions, which then I went to, uh, at, through a, a connection, got introduced to Adler University, and we decided that we would, use, as, as one of their master's students practicum in industrial organizational psychology, they would take our questions and compare it to the Utrecht work engagement scale to see if our, our questions were good. So originally it was like, let's just make sure our questions don't suck. That was like our research thesis, or at least it was mine. I think they had a more yeah. formal one. Yeah. What came back was that our 32 questions on performance, so how leaders help their teams align and collaborate, how leaders help their team, help the people grow, those questions straight line predicted work engagement, like straight line. And I was just like, what just happened here? Work engagement. Work okay. engagement. So I and and their the definition of from Utrecht is I have a positive, fulfilling state of mind in my work. So it's not like I'm going to stay here, like I'm going to work harder. I never look for work. Like those are all benefits. Like a lot of stuff measures those types of things. Those things aren't engagement, right? right? In yeah. the morning, do you get up feel, wanting to feel discretionary at work, or do you get up wanting to have a positive, fulfilling state of mind? The the, the latter is engagement. The former is a benefit thereof. So when we found we had this stuff, which was like straight line predictive for work engagement, I was like, okay, hey, we have something here. And now we've expanded our research to look at psychological safety. Because we talk about high performance as being achieving goals, having a great human experience. Human experience is positive, fulfilling state of mind in my work. I like my job. It gives me energy. You know, I yep. really, it has meaning. But the other side is I'm treated with respect. I'm treated as a human being. I'm treated properly. And so those two things going together, I'm treated well and I like my job. That's a great human experience. And so um, what we found, and this and that's a, that's a prerequisite for performance. So we're still learning. The 
it, it, it's definitely a prerequisite for high performance. What we're seeing in our data, and we're running a study right now, you can see it on our site, it's called the Comprehensive uh, Survey. Yeah, I've we seen it. Together psychological safety, which is an instrument from guarding minds at work, which is just super powerful um, psychological safety thing. We were doing this anyways. I mean, this this the fact that we're in this situation where right now, this crisis only makes it more important. But yeah. that combined with our high performance index, combined with the work engagement scale in one big survey, um, takes about 15 minutes to complete, completely free. And what we're seeing in the early returns on the data that's coming in is that we also have an incredibly high correlation with psychological safety. Now, I think to your question on prerequisite, I think that there, it's very clear from our data that work engagement is not, people go out and try to engage their team to drive performance. They shouldn't, it's the other way around. You need to focus on performance, alignment, collaboration, and growth. If you do performance that way, you will get engagement for free. It does not work the other way around. There's no data anywhere that shows that if you engage your team, it's causative of performance. So we've, we've got the most- Yeah, because you can have this nice, nice happy team, but nothing's happening. Right, that's called a pub, <laughs> right? You go to a pub, you hang out, you have a great time. There's no need to be held accountable or anything. So we want a performant version of that. And so the what we're finding is that in our data, the correlations between individual questions of psychological safety and our uh, high performance index. So again, align, collaborate, grow. There are elements where we seem to predict it's, it's early data. So, but there are things like if I show a genuine interest in your career, that actually will create psychological safety. There's research that shows that, right? right? So there's elements of high performance the way we do it that will create it. We involve you in planning. You feel respected, right? However, if we involve you in planning and you didn't already have at least some psychological safety, you're not gonna participate. You're not gonna give your opinions. So I think engagement is a straight shot. You focus on performance, you get engagement. High performance, the way yeah. we do it. Then on psychological safety, it's a system. The system. So there's things that will make your team more performant. And then once they're performing, it reinforces it. Now psychological safety goes up. I think that's what we're going to see. That was right. my hypothesis going in. And it's an educated kind of guess, if you will. But we're seeing it in the data. And I'm not surprised. Um, and right. in fact, it's connection between psychological safety and high performance seems to be even stronger than work engagement, which we straight line predict. So there's, there's something really groundbreaking coming in this research. And people can participate in as an individual. But what we really need is some companies to go out and take it. So right now on our site, you can do a free survey and it's we'll debrief the results. Your whole company can run it. No limits like a thousand people can do this. Doesn't matter. But we want to get the data so that we can go back and really start making some statements about this. Because if you think about the the way we compartmentalize this stuff, it's like I'm a leader and I've got my to do list and I've got to like productivity and efficiency. I got to hit my goals. All right. I got to engage my team. And in this crisis where, you know, half the population is reporting anxiety and mental health challenges, I also yeah. now got to think about psychological safety, which I don't even know what it is. So what we are what we see coming is that actually everything on that list is important. And the things in our high performance index scale, they seem to be 32 magic questions. Like I can't really explain it, but those questions I think are, they actually will help you with all of that. So if you do the things well, that's in our assessment, what we're finding, we find this in working with companies as well, is that not only do you get a better human experience as measured by engagement and psychological safety, but you're going to sell more. You're going to achieve yeah. more goals, right? You're yeah. actually going to perform better. So you can kind of have your cake and eat it too. So there's, there's a, it's a deep subject and it's, it, it certainly uh, is worth a listener's time to go and, and learn more about this. Where can they go to do that? You're, what is it? Supportinglines.com? Yep. Supportinglines.com. Uh, the comprehensive survey is there. 
The other thing we just launched that I think is really good for some of the people who are talking about where they're at the point in their career where they want to like, you know, what would I work on as a leader before I'm a people manager? Yeah. Um, we put an e-learning platform. It's super cheap. It's like $96 Canadian. Yeah. Um, and the, we want it to be accessible. So with that too, once people take the e-learning training, they could use that and go, or we, you know, for example, we'll walk people how, through how to use a coach approach in a performance conversation, but then we can actually have one of our coaches sit in on the performance conversation and give immediate feedback. So there's something we call practicums, which uh, if people want to kind of go to that next level, they can buy these small packaged offerings of coaching that really help them apply the skills. Cause I'm not sure you can always like, you know, go to the retreat, read the book, watch the e-learning, and then just like put it straight into practice. Sometimes it right. can help. Yeah. Right, awesome. Um, well, Jeff, thank you very much for sharing your story, sharing some of your lessons. Um, making sense of your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> Speaking of which, if someone wants to connect with you, they can get a hold of you on, on LinkedIn, Jeff yep. Smith, J E F F. Everyone knows how to smell, uh, spell yep. Smith. Just, just Jeff at supportinglines.com. Just shoot me a note. We're pretty approachable. Cool. So yeah. Awesome. Very good. Um, super valuable. Very much appreciate it. And uh, we'll have to do this uh, again, maybe jump a little bit further into how this applies to uh, some of the larger issues in a, in a team. And, and when you, when you've got some, um, uh, you know, I know our organization is going through some of the stuff with you. So, so more data points It'd be interesting to have you come back and share some of those stories. I'd be happy to do it. Yeah. I think we're going to have some pretty, uh, we're going to have some research that I think is going to turn some like time, time tested notions on their ear. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Jeff, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I did uh, interviewing Jeff and learning from his career so far. Uh, there was a number of important things and interesting things that I took away from that. I'm not sure what the things that really stuck out for you. Uh, for me, I think there were three things. The first was that the career changes that Jeff made, um, there was a career flow to what he was doing. Even though on, on paper it may have looked like a blunt or drastic move going from finance into sales, the reality is that he was working and supporting that group before he went from finance into sales and then eventually back into finance later. Um, likewise, for him to go from the C-suite as the chief operating officer of a software company into an entrepreneurial endeavor in the coaching and um, career development area, um, these were things that were working simultaneously uh, in terms of hum human performance within a corporate setting that occurred for him sort of naturally, whereas on paper it could look very, very different. So I think the lesson there is that there's multiple things that we can be working on from a, a skill development perspective throughout our careers. Um, number two was early in the conversation, we talked about some of the great leaders that he worked for. And it was it was under their, their leadership that he was able to really blossom. I think that's one of the lessons that I've tried to teach people as well is that instead of looking for a great organization, well, that is important, probably just, just as important is trying to find a role with a great leader. You can find a great boss that can be his career advancing and skill development. Uh, you can get a lot of skill development by working for someone who's great at what they do and a great leader. And the other thing that I think that we learned was that when there's something that is of interest to him, he jumps in and he goes all in. The example he talked about was um, going back to Royal Rose University and uh, taking some leadership courses there. Uh, and that was a bit of an epiphany for him. But if you remember, from the time that he conceived that idea till he signed up and actually started, it was a very short amount of time. So he jumped in. So I think that ability to focus on one thing in a world where there's a lot of distractions 
is another message. So what were the things that really stuck out to you? Um, thank you very much for listening. I've got a number of other very interesting guests that are going to be coming on the podcast in the coming months. Um, really enjoying myself putting these together. I hope you enjoy listening. And thank you very much for joining Industry Insights. We'll see you next time.